This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey there, friend Tim Miner. How are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm much better now that you've reconfirmed that we're still friends. I've decided so. we're still friends. Okay, <laughs> okay yeah. good. Check back in tomorrow. <laughs> That's a big... Well, listen, I, 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 I hand you a lot of like confrontational stuff in any given day, so it's a floating... It's a very fluid situation. It, it is, it is. But 30, 35 years in, we're somehow friend stat. You're still friend status. I think we're doing well for you know <laughs> a non arranged marriage. I think we're doing really, <laughs> really well. It's Kim and I are watching. I totally love um, the show called Indian Matchmaker on. Um, oh, I've heard about on it. Netflix. Oh, we watched with, that too. Oh, see, yeah. Samanti, love her. But um, so there's the arranged marriage, and there's the love marriage, mm. and. I, you and I have a have a love a creative love marriage of sorts. We have chosen to do this together. It's true, it's true, and um, it takes us on wild rides. And this morning was a wild ride. So, folks, you're tuning into the Charlotte's Creative Podcast. Thank you for doing that. We record these every month immediately following the Creative Mornings Charlotte event. And that voice you just heard a moment ago was the voice of our speaker this morning, the one and only David Jeffers. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about David in a minute. But David, you spoke on our global theme of acceptance at Creative Mornings Charlotte this morning, and there were tears, there were la- there was laughter, there was a lot of moved and inspired people in that room. So, thank you for bringing your story and your perspective to the Creative Morning stage this morning. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, letting me do this because actually it it helped me. A great deal y'all don't even know just having to force myself to look at acceptance head on and pull this speech together it, it kind of really helped me close the loop so I'm better for doing it well it's it was mutual I mean you know the fact that we got to bask in the glow uh, and power of your story um, that moves us that inspires us that allows us to do our work better in the world too so there there is you know, I feel like if you feel like you got something out of this, we yeah. we definitely got a lot out of this and, and getting to know you through the process. Yeah, I, what you know, you described it as a wild ride today. It was a for me, and I think for many people in the audience, it was a beautiful ride, but very mm-hmm. reflective of life. You know, there's mm-hmm. not there's not one note; it's a symphony, right? And um, I, I think uh, oftentimes when you go to see a speaker. Um, that speaker has um, a very rigid agenda, you know, and can sometimes talks can be not, I, we've blessedly not had this challenge with creative mornings, but in other formats, um, the message gets whittled down into one that's either very simplistic or very positive, overly positive, um, artificially positive. And in your case, um, he really leaned hard into acceptance and threw it all out there and showed how we are shaped by the opportunities, laughter, tears, and all the challenges. And that's, that's part of just being alive. It was the, the crowd, the audience had a a truly emotional reaction to everything you said, especially the high notes. Right. Um, I just kind of want to, pick on what you said about you know a lot of times these speakers being overly positive and in my rehab days that was the thing that drove me crazy you'd have like peer mentors or some people come talk to you and they give you this oh it's so great now you know we're we're totally over this and as I'm going through it 
I'm like, there is no way. So I do a lot of um, peer mentoring with other people with spinal cords. And I make sure I give them the true story. I still give them, there's plenty of hope. But by giving them the real deal, they definitely appreciate it. And, and they go a lot further. So that That is so odd and, and really kind of amazing that you said that. Because um, autobiographical note, one of our um, roommates in college, not long after uh, he graduated, uh, had a had a uh, a very devastating injury and his himself um he's a paraplegic mm-hmm. and he is a very positive person uh and he was also very young and wanted to come back and uh and work with people in the rehab center and they wouldn't let him do it because he was on a high everything he was he had overcome in his mind what what was in front of him and he was extremely positive um, and maybe a little simplistic or a little, and now after having lived more life and dealt with more highs and more lows and everything in between, I think he'd be a more balanced right. mentor. But at the time I remember Matt and I being frustrated and going, he just wants to go in there and, you know, get people fired up and looking back at it. What is it like 25 years later? I completely understand what you're saying and what the rehab center's position was on that because he was he wasn't looking at the subtleties he was only looking at the rah rah let's go what nothing can stop me kind mm-hmm. of stuff yeah um, and just personal note i would follow people on instagram with like the same type of energy in, injury as me and i'm looking like oh they're doing all this stuff this and that and that like over po- positivity it started making me feel bad about myself mm. you know not realizing first that's just what they're showing Mm-hmm. And two, there's such a range of experiences and situations that you can't expect yourself to be as someone else is that you see on the gram, as they say. Yeah. Oh, totally. And so that's what I really, one of the things I really appreciated about your talk this morning was that you brought it all. You brought levity and you brought realness and hardness and um, devastation. And, and so everyone in that audience got to f- go on that ex- that journey with you and experience that range of emotions which is no doubt akin to what you have gone through and are going through. Um, what I'd love to do is, because as we were talking before we started recording, you know, we, we encourage people to watch the uh, video of your talk and listen to the podcast because they're meant to be sort of companion pieces. Mm-hmm. So I want to dive a little bit in the next few minutes here into some of the things that we didn't get to um, go deeper into um, and maybe even a little more about your creative journey as well because... Yeah. When I look at your bio, you know, you grew up in Raleigh uh, as one of five children, um, and your love of music really developed quite uh, early. Your parents were playing a, a lot of um, different types of music in the home, yes. um, everything from Miles Davis to, to John Denver. Um, what age were you at when you just realized, I love music? Um. I'm trying to think like I, I just I knew I always enjoyed it, but I guess it was around fifth grade. Mm. Um, I had this friend that his family was like in the choir and they had pianos at his house. And I just remember loving going over there, messing with the piano and the organ. Did you play or were you just kind of improvising? Kind of improvising, tinkering around. But it really got big when I went to high school and um, I took an audio production class and then after that, it was just like wide open, trying to produce music, 
trying to steal my dad's record collection so I could sample <laughs> and make beats from it. That was when it really kind of like took off for me. Wait, can can I just go off on something really quickly? Like, I yeah, that's just what well, you're talking about. Your dad's record collection. I, I had such a similar journey in that one day I just found this box of old cassette tapes uh, and eight tracks that my dad they had meant a lot to my father at a different time in his life and then he put it in a box and shoved it in the corner and just diving into that i remember you know like even though it's his music i remember going to him like hey have you heard of this Jimi hendrix guy mm-hmm. before it just blew my mind and it's just those are such amazing experiences fueling fueling a young creative discovering something like that and then being able to expose yourself to all sorts of different musical styles, artistic styles, and then make it your own. I I just really have a kinship with you on that. Right. I appreciate that. You know what else pulled me in was, you know, back then the big album cover art, Mm -hmm. that's what got me too. like some of those um, Ohio players or those mandrill uh, album covers that actually used to scare me as a child. I still remember that cover with that big intense. Yeah. So the art piece too there, just looking at the covers draws you in too. Well, and I think one thing that I truly miss uh, from that era of music is liner notes. Oh yeah. You know, really engaging both sides, you know, both hemispheres of your brain to enjoy it artistically, but then to understand it better intellectually right oh man that's just like kind of a lost art i mean you could watch youtube videos and read wikipedia and what what it was behind the song but that's somebody else's story as opposed to what the artist chose to reveal in the liner notes yep what were some of your favorite albums growing up i mean there are a few that come to mind it's like oh those were those those are those were touchstone albums for for me um let me think or even artists well, okay, I, I got to say the John Denver thing, right? Yeah. The Please Daddy Don't Come Home Drunk for Christmas. That wasn't one of my favorites, but I just thought it was so nutty that we used <laughs> to listen to that. Um, that definitely uh, sticks out for me. Wow. Um, other artists I really like were uh, Isaac Hayes, mm-hmm. um, Nina Simone, because that was another one that at first as a kid – I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. I thought she didn't really sound good. But then now as an adult, I have a totally different appreciation uh, for her music. Um, I remember, did you ever see the, the, the movie The Professional? Not, yeah. you no, know, it's not The Professional. It's La Femme Nikita. Yes. And she has that affinity for Nina Simone. It was the very first time I'd ever mm-hmm. heard of her. And I had that same experience. I saw it when I was... Uh, in I think high school or early 20s and I was like I don't get this music now I, I love her music you know it's I it that's that's another boy yeah interesting I love that that uh, kind of synergy there right so by the early 90s you had started a music production company and then by the by the early aughts I guess I mean you were you were essentially one of the first people doing an online record label kind of pioneering that uh, that uh, digital music uh, age. So talk to us just a little bit about that transition from music lover to, oh no, this is a legitimate career path that I've, that I want to, that I want to journey on. Right. So we got to actually rewind a little bit to yeah. like, uh, 92 to 96. Um, I had a production company called ghetto lab productions with, uh, my best friend Ricardo. So we were actually making beats and trying to put out music then. 
And, and were uh, you in Raleigh doing this? Yeah, this was in Raleigh. Okay. And um, there probably wasn't a lot of that activity happening in Raleigh at the time. I no, and like we were just so crazy. Like I like to say we in- invented the remix because my boy Ricardo could rap, and we both made beats. But I was like, nobody wants to hear the local guy rap. So let's just take our music and put acapellas together and make these remix tapes. And um, eventually, like it got on college radio and we made it number three on the countdown. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just a good, fun time. And now fast forward and, you know, to the 2000s, me and my friend Ricardo, it had been a while since we actually were talking. He just hits me up with an email and says, hey, dude, we got to get back into this music. Um, What do you think? And it all just kind of spiraled from there. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, and so at the time of the, of the accident, were you still kind of fully in the, um, in the music industry? Or, is that, or had you already shifted into sort of this, this engineering track that you um, ended up going on? Yeah, I was pretty much solid into the engineering. Um, you know, once we had Jackson and you know, really it wasn't making any money and it was taking so much time. It's like with a new baby, I just, I just had to really get focused on that side of my life. Yeah. So yeah, it was a hundred percent engineering time and, at that and, point. And tell us what you were doing uh, in the engineering industry. Yeah. Uh, it started out fun. I actually worked for Ford as a mechanical engineer doing some vehicle comparison stuff. And then I realized I didn't like Detroit mainly because of the gray dark skies um, all winter, um, I decided to move back to Charlotte and I took a job at this other company where I was a test engineer. And quite frankly, there's not that much creativity in testing. So that's when things started to feel like I want to do something different. You know, I'm stuck in this place. And I was really kind of at a turning point where I I wanted to start looking for other things. Was that was so you were feeling that pull that creative pull before the accident happened mm-hmm. were you did you start to explore like okay what can i do creatively or 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 did that start to emerge post accident um really i was just feeling like you know what i'll just keep tinkering at home making beats and stuff so at least i was still doing that but yeah you know nothing headed toward professional i was really just on that you know let's move to the suburbs and let's, you know, do what everybody else does, raise kids kind of note at that point. Oh, we have talked so many times about the fact that um, if, if you're a creative, right, if that's, if that's a really key aspect of your personality, um, it's going to bubble up to the surface. Cause that's, that's how Matt and I got here. Quite frankly, is we, we wanted to get uh, Matt got the chapter of, of creative mornings because we were both doing them, move to the suburbs, be a good dad, be a good provider mm-hmm. that put that stuff away on the toy shelf kind of life. But it, you can't run away from it if it's a really huge part of who you are. Right. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in your talk was you were used to being you know, to producing in analog formats and that you've now embraced working in a more digital space. Yep. Has, how has, has that been? Because it. Maybe I, maybe I picked up something uh, that wasn't there, but it felt like you had a little bit of a hump to go over with digital because it didn't feel maybe as real yeah. as maybe it felt like cheating as opposed to, you know, using analog systems. Not even, I wouldn't even say cheating. I just really enjoyed picking up a record, 
putting it on the turntable, you know, digging for those samples and using my old ASR 10, you know, that came out in the late 90s to do my samples. And then, yeah, I would use, you know, the computer to track everything out. But like I said, I just really missed that part of it. It just felt like it, I don't know, it just feels good. It feels more creative. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm so glad like the digital world is what it is because without it, I wouldn't be able to do half the stuff I do. You know, I can practically run a whole studio, you know, from my computer with, with the function of, of my hands that I have now. Um, and even just going back to regular life, you know, with my phone, I can order my scripts, I can order food, I can, you know, anything that I need is right here on my lap. So yeah, I got hurt at a, at a good technological time, I guess you could say. Yeah. So that, so the injury happened in 2011 and, and we don't have to go deep into that. I mean, again, we, we, we would ask folks to, to watch the video because um, you spent a, a decent amount of, of your talk um, walking us through, taking us through that journey. Um, it was a, an accident at the beach that, that um, you know, where the spinal cord injury uh, happened and you became um, quadriplegic. One of the things that, that we didn't go into uh, this morning is this idea that post-accident, your ability to process sound changed. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, what that was like um, when you started to realize maybe that I'm processing sound different now uh, because other parts of my physicality have changed now. So the way that I bring in and process sound is different because that's an important step toward mm -hmm. your, your new upcoming chapter uh, at that time as a sound designer. Yep. I've always been like real observant of my surroundings, but once you're stuck in a hospital bed for hours on end and you can't move, all you can do is look at the TV or the ceiling. You definitely start listening to things a lot more. Um, I didn't realize what was going on at the time, but just being in there, I got to the point where I could tell like, oh, this nurse, that's, that's nurse Cynthia coming. I could tell by the way she walks or this type of thing. So using that ability plays a, a big part in my sound design because now it's like, I can be like, oh, if you hear that slide, that's because she, maybe she has a limp. You know, you start really noticing the details about what people do in, in a sound way instead of actually being soaked up by life moving around. You don't even notice those things. Yeah. So part of it is just being still. Just being, just being still. Yeah. Yep. David, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that people might not quite understand what a sound designer does as opposed to a producer or an editor. So what are, what, as a sound designer, what do you do and what are some of the critical skills that you bring in, bring to the table and have acquired to be an award-winning sound designer? Um, the simplest way I usually tell people is like an animation. It's just a drawing, right? Drawings don't have sound. So anything you hear or see behind an animation, a sound designer put it there. And uh, that's what I do. Um, and as far as skills, um, you have to really focus on how things function and work. That's kind of where my mechanical engineering background kind of gives me an edge up because I can break things down into smaller pieces, which then layer them back up with sounds to, to come out with the, the overall sound that you want. Um, there's also like the music composition side, which I'm working toward. Um, 
you know, I've done plenty of like hip hop tracks and stuff, but I want to get to the point where if somebody asked me to compose anything, I could do it. You know, I don't want to be pigeonholed into one spot. And uh, yeah, on simplest terms, that's, that's it. It's a, it, sound design to me it seems like the kind of thing too where it might be difficult to put your, to put into words um, what good sound design is, but you'd know when it's not there. Right. Right. You're going to notice if you don't, you might not yeah. notice it when it's in place, but you're definitely going to notice like that video that you made, you had, you had sneaker squeaks and you know, when the ball hit the rim, you know, I, the, all those little things that I guess you, yeah, like you said, you, you're an engineer, you think about the physics of it mm-hmm. and when would that sound be and, and how yeah. deep would it be or so, I mean, it was really, um, really remarkable what you did on that appreciate it and thanks for helping explain that a little better it's like I do it so much I don't know how to put it into words you know what I'm actually doing and you kind of laid it out so well I mean I this is one of the things I, I can't remember if it was my father or somebody else that kind of made me aware of it but again it's that thing where you go to like I think about a movie you know and if there's good foley you might not really know but you know when it's not when you when you can't hear it and i think about like uh yep. blade runner 2049 had one of the most amazing the sound design was a character mm-hmm. in that movie because it built the world more in some ways more than the visuals yep um and so we, i mean i was we interviewed um uh someone with into the woods the other uh, a couple of weeks ago when it came to the blumenthal and mm-hmm. and with the orchestra and that show being on stage the sound was an uncredited character right in that production yep mm. where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you broadcast news isn't what it used to be and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch if only there was one place you could get it all when you want wherever you want on your schedule there is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. I, you know, Matt and I, uh, I think we even talked to Lauren about this, um, have, have talked about, you know, what fuels creativity uh, quite often. And one of the things we see is that, that sometimes limitation or being given parameters that are, might be seen as oppressive actually opens up avenues that you creative avenues you didn't see before. And so it could be financial, it could be space. In your case, it's, it's, it's a physical change, Mm -hmm. but how, how did that open up new horizons for you? Um, looking more at my art stuff. Yes, at your art. Yeah. Um, when I first got hurt, uh, a friend of mine, Mark Stevens, I used to go to high school with him. He hits me up and says, "You know what? You should try this thing called Instabobs." And I'm like, "What is that?" He was like, "Well, you take pictures and you use apps on your phone to try to make them look as crazy as possible." And it was something that was going on Instagram, so you kind of like battle. So I was like, "You know, okay, let me let me just." try it and it was great because it was something I could do totally on my own I didn't have to ask anybody for help I could just pull my phone out and do my thing so it was not only about being creative it was about just not having to ask for something 
because I had to ask for every other thing. So just over the years of me doing it and doing it, just keeping the time and keeping my sanity, you know, it kind of just grew into what it is now. That's amazing. What, um, you know, you shared with the, with the crowd this morning, um, one of your award-winning pieces specifically, uh, I'm thinking of the, the Paralympics piece uh, that, that was won, awesome. um, sound design of the year. We got to put a link to that oh, in yeah. the description yeah. of this. You have to watch it. So how did that, um, well, how did that gig come to be? Uh, it was my guys at BN, man. Like, and, and tell everyone what, what, who BN is. BN is um, a motion design studio out of LA. And it's B-I-E-N is yep. how it's spelled. Yeah. And their whole thing is called InmoD, which is inclusive motion design. Um, so when I got hurt, well, actually they started after I got hurt, but they just felt like they wanted to pull me in as, as being inclusive, plus knowing my music background. Um, so as far as that video goes, I'm trying to remember how that happened. I think the Paralympics committee is somebody they wanted to work with mm -hmm. and they decided to just do a, a promo type thing with them. And, um, it actually started out really small. Mm -hmm. Like the original version is, is nothing like that. It was, it was very basic. So it was something that grew and it just felt like it was synergy because like it all just happened at one time. And then we made the piece and we showed it to them like, Hey, we did this for you. You know, we hope you like it kind of thing. And they loved it and they pushed it out there and it kind of just blew up. And then one day I get a call saying, hey, you've got this award. And I'm like, I didn't apply for anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, well, it's for such and such. And yeah, it went just like that. And that, and, 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 and in an instant, you are an award-winning sound designer. Yeah. Whole new chapter, whole new level. Yeah. And the thing, like I said, I did it on my iPad. Yeah. Which was one of those things where it's like, you've got these tight, circumstances and you feel like you can't do much but i guess if there's a will there's a way as they always say yeah absolutely so one of the things that you mentioned in your in your talk was that life changed again after that award right that opened up you were getting all sorts of of new work and it made me wonder there's a you know there's acceptance of the challenges that we that we have but then there's another level of of success or, or uh, of acceptance and accepting when you've been successful because uh, so many artists suffer from um you know imposter syndrome or you know they're used to kind of being uh you know raging against the machine what mm -hmm. what has that been like to accept that you're an award-winning sought after you know in-demand sound designer now well, well i mean i still struggle with it too i'm still like Am I really that good? Like, is this is this up to par? You know, so I, I'm still trying to accept that too. I'm like, was that just a fluke? So it's a, it's an ongoing thing. I'm not over it or beyond it. I'm still trying to level work on through it. Yeah. No, I've never met a creative that's like, yeah, I got it. Like, <laughs> I got right. this. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. Wow, isn't that something? Well, you you shared with us this morning uh, a really. Um, very very sweet and surprisingly moving a video from your son um and it just made me want to ask you like how have your kids reacted to watching you 
sort of blossom into a new chapter, a new creative chapter in your life. Um, how is this, I don't know, how is this manifesting in them or how is, how are they taking all of this in, this, this new part of your, of your, uh, of your story? Um, they're loving it. They're, they're like super supportive. Um, you can tell that it's starting to affect, especially my, my youngest one. He's more of a negative Nelly at times, but I think seeing like my successes has, has made him see like, you can pretty much do anything, you know, you just got to keep working at it and try to try to keep positive. And um, actually, you know, doing this work got us a trip, a family trip to New York. So they really loved that and they really enjoyed that. So all the perks. Yeah, they're fans. They love the, they love the perks. That is the way to a child's heart. <laughs> right. I don't know what you do, Dad, but uh, thanks for the trip. But we got to go to the M&M store at Times Square. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a fan. Are, are, is the creative bug rub, rubbing off on them? Are they? Do you see them having any sort of creative bent? Um, yeah, my, my youngest son, um, he likes to do art. And um, he just actually did like a little graffiti class last weekend. Um, so yeah, he, he's definitely feeling it. And um, he's kind of put down the art lately, but I'm hoping he's going to start picking it back up, get off those video games a little bit. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you said that was truly moving was and, and something we all need to remember to do is celebrate. So how do you celebrate this, the little wins, the daily, the daily wins? Um, just give myself a break. You know, like a lot of times I'll just keep working and working and working and not even enjoy it. You know, sometimes your celebration can just be sitting there and saying, ah, let's, yeah. let's just chill out for a second. Watch, watch a show, take a nap. Because, you know, I was a hater of naps. I thought like, I can't be wasting my time, you know, but now it's like, I let myself chill. That's, that's an easy celebration. That's I so got to go with the No, like that's my absolute favorite thing. The nap. I, I, I never used to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I would do the power nap, you know, right. like the necessity, like, well, this, I read about this in four 15 minutes, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And now like my, I, I don't care how hard the week was. If I have my little Sunday, Afternoon nap. Oh, I live for that. So I wish I, I that wish one. I could nap. I've never been a good napper. You I can't seem to fall acquire asleep. that skill. It is, it's refreshing. I always thought it'd be great to invent like uh, uh, some sort of a device that allows you to nap for twenty minutes. Some sort of a nap pill that right. will you go to sleep and then twenty minutes later you wake back up refreshed. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm just gonna I'm gonna work you harder <laughs> so that you have to nap. No, I you know my my theory on naps, right? Uh, I no, think 23 I don't. minutes is <laughs> is a perfect time for a nap. It is one episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, <laughs> so, but and so when Kim, uh, when it was on Netflix, not on Netflix anymore. But I would, I would call it a. Uh, Kim would say, "What are you going to do?" I'm like, "I'm going to one Raymond this one." <laughs> sometimes right. it was a really long day. I'm like, "This is a two Raymond." <laughs> so you know, and I trained myself to fall asleep when the lead in music happened. Wow, and then wake back up again at the credit roll. Wow. That's impressive. You're like the David Blaine of sitcom nap. I, I am wh- serious about naps. <laughs> That's really impressive. Um, but I will say that a celebration for me, and, and I can speak for my wife and my daughter as well, is if we all crawl into bed around 8 o'clock and put on a show and just watch a, a, a show as a family, yep. it feels celebratory to be in bed at an at a, a ungodly early hour like that is like 
I don't know. That just shows you how life has changed as you get older. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's celebratory is to get in bed early. See, that to me is nap adjacent. It is. You can, it it is, is. It is. You can I I'm believe in you, Matt. I'm napping curious. You can, yeah. you can embrace the nap. <laughs> There's an inner napper. I mean, look, by peer pressure, David and I are going to, you're going to. I'm cool, the odd man out here. The right. cool kids nap. <laughs> Balto, do you nap? But we got the thumbs up on that one. Out of the, you are the odd man out in this room when it comes All right. to naps. All right. I'll give it a shot. Well, David, um, it's been an extraordinary morning with you, uh, both at Creative Mornings, Charlotte, and then, um, and then being able to sit down with you on the Charlotte's Creative Podcast. So thank you so much. Um, you've been, I don't know, just, just being uh, in the presence of you and your story is a great reminder of kind of the... I don't know, the, the alchemy of a creative life, like everything that you've gone through has brought you to this moment, you know, from, from your childhood around an eclectic body of music to uh, your work in the digital music and, and recording industry um, early on, your, um, your accident and the tragedy around that, your, the acceptance around that, your role as a dad, hell, I would say even your role as a, as a award-winning napper as well like all of it <laughs> so played its played its role in getting you to this moment where you get to now get up on stage and, sh- and inspire others so you asked people this morning to think about what is that thing that you need to accept what is that thing that you need to let go of and i know every person in that audience had something that mm-hmm. they were there was nodding there were there was like audible cues where it's like oh my gosh David is touching everyone in this room yeah. right now. And, and so thank you for bringing your story and your spirit um, to all of us. I've got one last question for you, David, which is how can people work with you? Um, you can always just hit me on my Instagram. That's a quick way to get a hold of me, which is uh, Quadraphonic Sound. Um, and like I said, we can just go from there. Or you can hit up my website, which is QuadraphonicSound.com. And as the um, documentary about you that the folks at BN are working on, as that rolls out, we will be sure to share that too because we want people to experience more David Jeffers through through that sharing of your story. Too. Well, and as we said when you arrived this morning, you're in the Creative Mornings family now. <laughs> I appreciate so it. we expect to see you back here bringing the party with you when you come. <laughs> hey, can I say one last of thing course. before we go? I just want to let everybody know, I would not be a sound designer or the artist that I am without this accident. I, I definitely would not be in sound design at all. So I'm not saying I would choose this route, but I definitely appreciate it at this point. Wow, that is an incredibly powerful perspective to have and I think something that can change everyone's lives. If they really sit and think about what you're saying, that is, that is life-changing wisdom. So thank you for saying that. No problem. And thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate it. Tim, I always love sitting next to you, talking about whatever comes up. Uh, Same here, especially when I know that I'm still your friend. We're still friends. (laughs) We're still friends. Day ain't over yet. Let's day ain't over yet, and we'll (laughs) we'll check in again next next month, June 2nd. Let's sit down, and we'll have another status check on the friendship. I'll be here. Okay. See you. Thanks, y'all. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.